With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Here with the 195th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. Hey, in the 195th episode, we're going to title this one, Gurley Will Be on a Snap Count. We uh, certainly uh, talked to the uh, offensive coordinator last week, Dirk Cutter, and he would not give us the number of the snap count. Uh, but he would say that, you know, they are, they do have a number in mind. So we went back and uh, we believe that it's reasonable to conclude based on his comments and the empirical data that 15 to 20 is the snap count or the uh, target count for Todd Gurley next season. He hasn't been able to come in and get his physical because of the league's travel ban. Uh, so, you know, Coach Dirk ex- expressed that. Uh, you know, the only question he had about Todd was his health. So they'll get that squared away. Uh, the front office didn't seem to worry too much about it. They got the deal done, and, you know, they got some offset clauses in there and so forth. So, uh, you know, if it's any uh, he's anywhere worse for wear than uh, everybody believes, then they have a um, – Oh, out. So nobody's really fired up about it here, although the Internet uh, tried to go get after a little bit last week on that. So we believe 15 to 20 based on the comments of uh, Dr. Chow, who said he, you know, with the arthritic left knee, there will be some limitations, nothing that can't be managed properly. And it's uh, NFL. Dr. David Chow was uh, the Chargers doctor for 17 years. So, um we're going to, uh, you know, know that they have to manage it. He might not practice it uh, every day. Uh, certainly want to try to get him through the season. So based on Dirk's comments and his study of last year, we're going to uh, reasonably conclude that 15 to 20 touches will be in order. And we looked at his stats from last year. Uh, only three games with 20 carries or more, 20, 23, and 25. He, uh, uh, Dirk thought he averaged 17 touches a game, but it was 16, uh, 14.9 rushing and 1.9 receiving. So he, uh, 16. So even if he gets a few more, he's still going to be in that 15 to 20 range on touches. So um, last year he's coming off of a uh, career low, 857 yards. Uh, so, you know, the Falcons, you know, 3.6 per carry, I believe. So they want to get that up to four. But, uh, uh, you know, he will definitely be on a snap count or a, certainly a, a pitch count there 
next season. Dirk, Dirk said so. He admitted that they had a number in mind. He didn't want to tell us because he didn't want us bugging him every week about it, <laughs> which we're going to do anyway. So he should have just gave us the number. Here's some Dirk Cutter from last week, and we're going to come back with some Rich McKay from today. But here's Coach Cutter. Yeah, Coach, just a bigger look up at, at, you know, you talked about your running backs, but the new weapons, the tight end you got there on offense, and uh, uh, Trent Will and, and, and a couple linemen there. Just uh, overall, is the unit looking virtually for you? How's it looking for you? Yeah, as far as the new guys go, all we can go on is is the film from their past performance. And uh, we just talked about Todd. So as far as Hayden Hurst goes, you know, we lost a really good player in Austin Hooper. But Hayden, I think Hayden's going to be a a real nice fit here. You know, uh, he was playing in a run-heavy offense in Baltimore, and and that worked well for them. But I think... uh, the skill set that Hayden brings is going to be a good fit for what for what we do offensively. And I know from talking to him, he's he's anxious to get with Matt Ryan and fit in with our guys. Treadwell, you know, he he uh, had very high expectations coming out of college. He was playing with some other good wideouts at, at Minnesota, and maybe you know didn't get as many targets as uh, he would have liked you know what he does have is he has size and he has really good hands and so you know we we have a, a strong wide receiver group already and uh i know i know the quan is is uh talking to coach brock in the virtual meetings and he's excited about uh sometimes guys just need a change of scenery and uh I'm not going to know for sure until we get him here and see, but, you know, he, he definitely has, has the size and has the hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Coach Coach Dan keeps talking about the outside zone and the run game and, and, and getting that going for you all. And, um, uh, you know, everything kind of flows off of that. Uh, you know, where are you at with that outside zone and, and, and you know, the things you all got to do to get that running game perked up? We definitely need to run the ball better than we did last year. And and just like Q was telling you guys on Tuesday, you know, your run game sets up your play-action game. And it never fails every year when you go back and and look at the cut-ups. The play-action game is where the explosive plays come. You know, we we still had, I think, 30% of our play-actions were explosive plays. Mm -hmm. And your play-actions are going to be better if you're running it better. And we, we have to... We have to run the football more efficiently. We uh, we've just got to do a better job there, and that's that. It takes all 11 guys, and and we got to coach it better, and we got to execute it better. Thanks, coach. There is Coach Dirk Cutter going over a couple of the new guys, uh, Hayden Hurst and uh, Laquan Treadwell. They think they can get Hayden Hurst going. Uh, you know, the the uh, Ravens didn't throw him the ball a lot. Uh, the Falcons, uh, you know. Had almost 70 catches out of the tight end position last year, 60-something the year before that. Laquan Treadwell's a little bit more troublesome. Um, didn't run the 40 um, uh, at his combine. Had uh, short area speed issues, and uh, there were some murmurs about him not being able to get open in the NFL. And so far, that's been the case. 
uh, up there in Minnesota. But Dirk said, hey, maybe he needs a uh, change of atmosphere. He was playing behind some good receivers up there. He's going to be playing behind some good ones here. So we'll see how that works out. Second here today, we're going to talk about the Rooney Rule. Stuff's breaking left and right on that. They're back to the drawing board. They knew that um, the pushback on uh, incentivizing teams for doing what they should be doing anyway was a bad idea. So uh, that that's good. They do need to put some more teeth into the Rooney Rule. We um, have a blog post up of... Uh, with Rich McKay discussing, you know, how unacceptable it has been. It's really simple. I've been following this since uh, Sherman Lewis and uh, Gary Kubiak in Super Bowl 31. We're up to Super Bowl 53. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, things have got better for a little while. They interviewed candidates. Uh, Mike Tomlin got a job. He was a Rooney Rule uh, candidate. Uh, but uh, here of late, some of these interviews have been very much sham interviews. Uh, the Fritz Pollard Alliance has been in compliance with them, make sure the candidates, uh, uh, you know, are prepared and are, you know, on their list and so forth and, and so on. Uh, so you know, that they, they haven't spoken out as much as they should have, probably, uh, because the teams are complying with the rule by at least interviewing people. But, you know, the results are, you know, such that uh, they appear to be sham interviews. Marvin Lewis, uh, the Cowboys, when they knew they were going to hire Mike McCarthy is the, you know, one of the ones that the situation in Houston seems to be backwards. Uh, the kid from uh, losing coach from college, getting an Arizona job. Uh, you know, the remedy here is simple. Interview the best candidates, have the best candidates uh you can get available get them interviewed and then be comfortable when that best candidate uh your winner in the clubhouse is the minority candidate is african-american teams clearly aren't comfortable and they're not hiring them so they're going in a whole different direction but you know uh, we'll see where the rooney rule goes if it needs more teeth definitely the draft pick thing's been shot down just saw that came across the phone but interview the best candidate, hire the best person available for the job. And, you know, if it's a minority that uh, or African-American, then get comfortable with that. You know, it's 2020. I know um, it's a different world we're in now, but that it's not that hard. We shouldn't have to have rules to uh, regulate that folks do the right thing. So there's my 25-year rant. It's been pretty consistent. Been uh, uh the same, you know, hey, interview the people that are qualified and hire the best qualified candidate, you know, and uh, we just haven't seen that merit-based system work in the NFL. Still a nepotism, buddy-buddy system uh, uh, to get you through in a lot of situations. But anyway, let's move on to number three here. To, got to do some uh, fun stuff here. Uh, in the uh, pandemic days, I'm still pretty busy with the Falcons, but uh, we had to do a five best moments, uh, five best, five career moments. So uh, that made you reflect on, uh, you know, your little career and so forth. So I know my first NFL story, I was at home for the holidays working at the Charlotte Observer, was in Cleveland and did a story on Ernest Back, Ernest 
Biner and Kevin Mack. Uh, Biner's from East Plater, East Carolina. Kevin's with Clemson from Kings Mountain, I believe. And uh, so, you know, we had a little Carolina ties in there uh, for the Charlotte Observer. And um, Helen Crawford and Gary Schwab sat down and edited my first story with me a long time ago. But they, that story didn't make the list. We had some good stuff here. Um, from five to one, you know, covering the Fab Five, I was the Ohio State beat writer for Cincinnati and then uh, covered Marquette uh, as Kevin O'Neill was rebuilding the program and uh, was in New Orleans when the Fab Five, when Chris Weber made that timeout, back when they had the media uh, sitting courtside. Those are the good old days, not up in the rafters with the fans. Uh, but I think they're selling those seats now. Uh Four, um, maybe this could have been higher, but it wasn't. The Super Bowl collapse of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I had my story written. We went over that. And then, you know, three is pretty big. The Last Dance. I covered the uh, Bulls second three-peat. I always thought Byron Russell got pushed on that last play. Was a non-call, and the rest is history. Also, that 72-win team, that year was pretty uh, incredible. I was trying to find a story I did uh, comparing the Bulls with the Lakers, the 71-win Lakers. I had Dr. Me and Dr. Jack Ramsey sat down on the court uh, at the Bradley Center for about 30, 45 minutes, you know, mostly me listening, him talking, <laughs> uh, uh, comparing both of those teams. And uh, that was one fun story to write, uh, you know, comparing the um, – you know, uh, Lakers with Wilton, uh, I believe Gail Goodridge, Jerry West, uh, to the uh, 72 win Bulls. So I, I want to find that story going to Milwaukee Archives. So last dance. And then two was uh, the Sydney Olympics. I was just incredible covering uh, the Olympics in Australia, um, you know, for, for a month and then uh, getting ready during the season. Uh, you know, leading up to the Olympics, I had to go to all these Olympic trials and stuff. So, but, you know, the 2000 Olympics in Sydney was pretty good. Uh, that's where Mike Phipps splashed on the scene. We had Mike Johnson in the 400, Marion Jones running her thing. Then we had the 4 by one relay team acting a fool over there. Uh, Tommy Lasorda got into it with the Cubans. It was awesome. <laughs> Uh, awesome stuff every day. Then stumbled into the wrestling match where Rulon Gardner beat, beat Carolyn, Alexander Carolyn, uh, great Russian uh, Greco-Roman wrestler who had been undefeated in 10 years. So it was a great time. So collectively, that made number two. Then number one, what for me was the uh, Michael Vick uh, dogfighting trial in 2007. Because uh, I don't know, some of y'all know I... Um, have a law degree, ended up having to write the law side of the story when we uh, found out he would be going to trial in the federal dogfighting case. Uh, Steve Weiss stayed back, covered the team. I was going back and forth to uh, court in uh, the U.S. District Court in Richmond. Uh, so, you know, we that was uh, that was one. It started in kind of in in. Uh, the indictment came in July. We didn't get a conviction until um, December. So, you know, it was a lot going back and forth, a lot of phone calls, a lot of uh, research, 
a lot of talks with dog fighting people and the American Humane Society folks. Uh, we did. Peter wasn't that credible, even though they made a lot of noise. The real money movies and seekers were the Humane Society folks. So uh, that was just bizarre to see a quarterback go to jail, come out of um, the courthouse in the black and white jumpsuit. Uh, you know, after you had, you know, covered him and so forth. So that was number one, five best career moments. I hope y'all enjoyed it, 50 inches of that. Uh, but also we're doing these um, bizarre moments. So I got to do the Super Bowl. That's coming up. I'm trying to get uh, touch to some new people to give y'all something new about what was going on on that sideline. I want to get the coach's perspective on you know, how things were going as uh, they saw the game just easing away from them. But uh, in the meantime, and I had did one on uh, Bobby Petrino leaving, and that was December the 11th, 2007. <laughs> he remembered dates. Uh, I had to do research, but I remembered them. That was the day after Vic got uh, the 23-month sentence, and the, and the Falcons got blown out by the Saints on Monday Night Football. I remember coming flying back from Richmond. And then the next day, Bobby's leaving. He's on. Uh, he's on. Come back to find out at 5:30. He's telling uh, Blank and them he's gone. So apparently, must have um, he left the Blank facilities and Blank Bank and uh, Buckhead flew on over to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and did his uh, press conference there. Was up there doing the pig suey call, and so um, you know that was pretty bizarre. But. Um, the one thing I did find out while doing that story, there was a rumor. We always heard it. Like, man, if Mike could have played in Petrino's offense, they were looking so good. But nobody wanted to talk about it on the record because I think they were having illegal practices in the barn, allegedly. So that's the rumor. So, you know, for years we're like, yeah, did you hear about this? Yeah, did you hear about this? And so I asked Roddy, I said, hey, I keep hearing about these workouts. That y'all were having. He's letting so in that Petrino story, he spills the guts. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on uh, legal workouts in the barn, but um, he was like, heck yeah, he was looking great. We had audibles. You know, he went into detail. <laughs> audibles, he was checking down, he's getting the ball out quick, it was looking great. And so, you know, that was in that Petrino story, but I'm gonna have to go back. I need some more people to tell me how that workout, those workouts were going. Because the bigger picture was, I think, and we can, you know, I'm kind of expert on this. We can handle it. Uh, I think if he had came clean, there was another way out of this dogfighting case that didn't have a jail solution. So um, it could have been rectified in another way, in a settlement uh, an agreement with the Humane Society that wouldn't have forwarded the prosecution where he could have continued to play, forfeit the dogs, you know, maybe some land, pay some fees, uh, and not face the federal prosecution. If he had come clean, folks were ready to help him at uh, the highest levels of the government and other leagues. So, uh, but when you, you know, don't tell the truth and stuff drags on, uh, you know, hey. So, two fronts, legally, could have been handled differently. Football-wise, the Petrino offense was going to work. We saw it last year. Uh, we saw some of it 
with Lamar Jackson at Louisville and him winning the Heisman Trophy and him getting Louisville up to his highest third in the country. So that's the whole uh, irony of that 2007 season is that, hey, what if Vic had came clean and what if uh, Petrino's offense had worked? Because they had a staff. Hugh Jackson was the OC. Uh, Mike Zimmer was the D.C., um, Emmett Thomas was helping them out. And you saw that that team wasn't that bad because Coach Smith and them were able to come in the next year and go 11-5 and five with a quarterback and a running back that Dimitrov got. But that defense was the old defense. Lawyer Malloy and all those guys, uh, you know, uh, they got rid of D. Hall. Could have kept D. Hall and been, you know, maybe they could have checked Fitzgerald in the playoffs that year. But anyway, uh, you know, that's one of the things we um, – you know, just had to wonder about when we were finishing up that story. What if Vicka came clean, got his dogfighting thing cleaned up, and played in the Petrino offense? And Roddy said it was hot. So uh, that was kind of, you know, walk down memory lane, uh, you know, being able to get that confirmed. And now we need to add a little bit more meat to it uh, to maybe come back with a column. But, uh, you know, and if, uh, man, how 2007 maybe didn't have to go as sideways as it did, but it, it certainly did. So um, that's just one thought to leave y'all with here. Hey, just, um, you know, how's the quarantine going? State's starting to open back up. We got, um, you know, the state's been giving us bogus numbers and so forth, but uh, I just got a call from my barber. He's going to open back up. He's getting waivers. He needed some legal advice. Got to get waivers for folks to sign if they're going to come on back. But, hey, just uh, take care and stay, um, you know, take care of yourself. Stay safe. You know, be vigilant. Uh, you know, get your source, get your information correct on, um, you know, what you need to do and, and wear your mask. That's the other thing. Out in public, these folks at Walmart not wearing their mask or just walking around like there's nothing happening. So good luck to them. So with that, we're going to get on out of here. It's 195th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. The Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.